0: Okay, we are picking up and reading in Acts, book of Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> and we were reading, and we're going to start reading at verse 10, Acts 17, verse 10. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, They came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they left. Okay, so last week we talked about the Bereans and their attitude toward the Scriptures and how when they searched the Scriptures, they began to find out that these things are so. But what I want to focus upon this week is a little bit different. In verse 13 it says, When the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the Word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there as well, agitating, the, 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 <coughs> agitating and, and stirring up the crowds. Now you may remember back up, in verses 1 through 9 of that same chapter, Paul had, and Silas and Timothy were in Thessalonica. Uh, uh, Luke having remained back in Philippi as to be the pastor there in Philippi. And, and uh, um, Paul had to flee from, from uh, Thessalonica and now he's in Berea. So now the Jews come 50 miles. So this is an organized attack on the ministry That Paul and Silas have. And so they come down and they start stirring up the crowd there. So they travel 50 miles. Which is very different than you and I traveling 50 miles. It was harder to do that. It may be equivalent to you and I going 500 miles. You know, some really long distance. Just to stir up a crowd because you're so jealous about the activity that's going on. So you see that there's this mounting activity. And the mounting coordination around the activity. Opposing the ministry of Paul and Silas. What you see in the lives of these believers is success intermixed with life's difficulties. Every sort of ministry and every activity in life has a mixture of successes and difficulties. This is what life is. Life is made up of this. But God never leaves us. Let me, let me, uh, um, let me track with you a little bit about what happened, what happened to Paul, because I, I was, uh, I, I, I wrote this down point by point, just from the second missionary journey. So the first missionary journey we were done with. Just from the second missionary journey, this is what's happened so far. Paul has a falling out with Barnabas over John Mark. Paul was forbidden to speak in Asia, so he had to march three to four months around which is like 350 miles around Phrygia, Galatia, and the Mysia region, before he, he receives a command on what to do. Uh, Paul gets, uh, uh, they go to Philippi, they get some success, but then they're wrongly accused, they're, they're uh, beaten, they're dragged out in a mob, and they're publicly flogged, they're thrown into prison in shackles, in, in, uh, 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 shackles there in the prison, in stocks. Uh, they're asked to leave the town, even though that they were found out to be not, not guilty of anything in particular. They were asked to leave the town. They go to Thessalonica. Some believe, but then they have to flee because a crowd, jealous, a jealous crowd stirs up the people. They come into Berea. There's many people that believe, but now the, they, he has to flee again. He goes to Athens after this, this uh, attack comes. So you say, is God really with his ministry? What is going on here? This is what life is. Life is intermixed with struggles. It's always like this, and it's like this for everybody. And, and sometimes I wonder, how do certain people deal with the issues of life? On, on Friday, just this week, I heard this terrible news about something that had happened in my lab and to, to a certain individual and what it, the impact was going to be on the research, and it just this terrible blow Friday afternoon. But nevertheless, I had to go and speak. I was, I was scheduled to speak at the InterVarsity Group Friday night. And, and I just you know, just came home just with my head just hanging. And, and, and Shireen was just so kind to me because of the news that I had gotten. I had called her up late in the afternoon and told her about this. And she said, that really is bad. And, uh, but this is what life is. This is why when I meet people, I like to talk with them and I say, you know... How did you handle ministry all this time? I was with a guy last night for dinner, and he's worked in the church, I don't know, 30 years, 40 years or something. A long time. And he has this really good attitude. And a lot of times you meet people who've worked in big churches for many years, and and their attitudes start to get worse and worse. I said, how did you handle it? Because he's such a jovial sort of guy. He's always smiling, and he just began to say, well, you know I..." Well, one of the ways I learned to handle it is I, I, I worked in a funeral home when I was in college. <laughs> so he so learned how to deal with a number of, of interesting situations. But everything there was there was some some way of handling this through through just, just laughing at the things of life. Now I'm sure that there were days of pain and real struggles, but how did people get through? You know, one guy said to me, Jim, you always love to hear testimonies. And that's true. I would rather read a book of testimonies than a book about theology. Because I want to see what it was like for people out on the mission field when they were confronted with certain situations and see how God came through. Because to me, that's life. That's why I, I love the Scriptures. I love to see what, it ha- what happened to Paul and how he was going to deal with it. When I was in college, I used to love to go on visitation with my pastor. And so he would visit certain families and share with them, or he'd be teaching small Bible studies in a certain house in the ministry area that the church would try to reach out with, reach out to. And I'd go with him, and there would be all sorts of strange questions that had to be fielded by him. Really strange questions. You know when you deal with, with particular people groups or people, it's strange. And I used to just love to sit there and smile and see how was he going to handle this difficult question now. How he was going to deal with this. I wanted to see how God comes through. Life is a mixture of, 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 of dealing with people. And because we deal with people, rather than with robots, we get this enormous creativity comes. We get this laughter. We get this joy. But because we deal with people, there's, all, there's the death, there's sickness, there's depression, there's sin. There's all these other factors that you have to learn to deal with. And I think many times in our training, we are wholly unequipped for dealing with the things of life. And I'll give you an example. When I was in graduate school, I had to teach. And I had to teach these student labs, which is very easy. You just walk around around the lab and you make sure the distillation setup is, is all together. There's not holes in it and it's distilling out into the open air. And you just walk up and you say you have to clamp these two pieces together and it'll distill just fine. But then you you become an assistant professor and they drop you. This was in the state university. They'll drop you in front of a class of 250 people. They say, teach. I've never really taught before. I've never lectured. Just teach. And so so most of us receive no training in how to teach. And it shows. And, And we have no experience with this. And then you've got to run this lab with all the, the emotions and all the things that go on in people's lives and, and, and the struggles with school and the struggles with this. are so, totally unequipped to deal with this. And so all of a sudden, I, I felt like I, w- I was a, a pastor. I felt like I was a priest. I felt I was a, 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 a marriage counselor to these graduate students. This is what life is. But life is also filled with pain and struggles. It is. This is what what Paul went through and you look at his life and you say, why didn't the guy just give up? Every town he gets some believers and then they throw him out or they beat him up or they throw him in prison. If this happened to us once as missionaries, we would be like, better leave the mission field. There's been trouble. Remember the, 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 the girls that were taken? Uh, uh, and, and I think even one of them or two of them were from Houston in Afghanistan when the war started and they were taken prisoners. And it was like, oh, terrible. How could this have happened? And it happened to them. They never should have gone there. It was too dangerous. I mean, come on. They went to minister the gospel. These things happen. Now, thankfully, the, the, they were delivered. But when you minister the gospel, this is what happens. This is what life is. So, one of the things that I like to do, is I like to talk with, with people in the church. This is why I love the church. I love the body of Christ. Because it's not just this monolith of of eighteen to twenty one. It is people from birth till death, all different ages. And each of us passes through those ages or we die. I mean this you know, that's the only reason why we wouldn't pass through one of those age groups. And and, and we all we all go through this. And so I like to talk with older people. and I say, well, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. And so there's this one lady, and she's going to share with us today. Her name is Tootie Callahan. And I would periodically just pass by the the chapel downstairs where the seniors group would be ministering. And she was always out there getting the cookies set up for the other seniors to walk in. So I said, this is a lady with a good heart. She's always there early, getting things set up, has the cookies set up. You know how I encourage you to come and help us set up breakfast and do this? So she's been doing this probably for like a long time. Many, many decades she's been doing this. And I see her there doing it. So you'd think that, oh, she's had this good life. Everything's gone well for her. That's why she's so happy So tell me about your life. And one day she'd tell me a little bit about her life and something going on. I said, whoa, that must have been a hard experience. And then, you know, the next day she's just praising God the next week. and And then she tells me a little bit more about her life. I go, whoa, that was hard. Let me give you a picture of normal life normal life in the body of Christ. Tootie wasn't a missionary. This is just normal life in the body of Christ. And then afterward, you can ask her, was God with her? So come on up here, Tuti. So this is Tutti Callaham. And... Uh... Judy is, is going to just tell us something about her life story. And it's just a, you know, she wasn't on the mission field. We weren't on the mission field, were you No. Nope. But, but just just to hear some of what she went through here in life. So let me get you all set up here because I want to make sure I get this recorded as well. And so you're going to have to talk right into that microphone. Let me lower this down just a
1: Okay, can you hear me? Can you hear me? You know that? Can you hear me? (laughs) Well, I tell you, um, you know, I love people. And I love young people, older people. But I thank Dr. Tour for the privilege. I, I just don't know. I hope I can be of some help to you. I've been in this church for since... January 1971, and, of course, I see Roger slipping in here, and he's like one of my kids. And uh, But, you know, in the early uh, years, I lived in uh, Waukegan, Illinois, which is above Chicago, about 40 miles. And, uh, of course, I've been called a Yankee, but, you know, I married a Mississippian. And that's where I met my husband in Waukegan. I told him many times, I didn't come to the south to get you. I came, you came up north. So, but, um, of course, you know, him being from Mississippi, he was a long ways from home. And, but to make a long story short, we married in December of uh, 1936 can you imagine of course you can't even imagine how long ago that's been can you but then along came you know just before the war in 1941 i was in we were in that war and of course um before that we we decided we would go I'd go back to his home and meet somebody. I never met any of his people. And so I guess I wondered, well, wonder what they'd think of this girl. But anyhow, my husband did construction work. And, uh, of course, first thing though, when we moved, when I went south, here I was a city girl. They didn't have no water. They didn't have any bathrooms. And they had those little places, you know, outside. And uh and had to wash on the washboard. I did it one time. Because what I did I took my skin off my knuckles. But anyhow I managed to get somebody to do that for me. Isn't that terrible? But <clears throat> and then uh in doing construction work my husband that's how i met him he came up north and and we met i was doing construction work on building highways and i i met him that and uh, of course we lived in a small trailer and i cooked on a two burner stove of course if you go camping you cook on it but uh, and it was uh Kolor or gasoline, and I was scared to death of them things. But I managed. And uh, then in 1940, our oldest daughter Barbara was born. And of course, you know, it it was uh, we were beginning the war years, and uh, we went to uh, Algiers, Louisiana, which was across the river from New Orleans. And there uh, we, my husband, was due to go in the service. That's back when they had the draft, and he was due to go in the service. He was due to, uh, and but then he was working for the uh, Navy in at uh, shipyards, and they said, no way. He's got to stay here. So, uh, and then, guess what? I worked in the machine shop. Can you imagine that? But I did, because they liked for the women, girls, they liked for us to do the small things, and we did. But, um, of course, at this time, I think this is where I really began to realize what the Lord was leading up to. And, of course, during the war, there was rationing, there was some things we couldn't get, and... Of course, we couldn't get any gas then. And, uh, then it was, uh, at this time, it was when we, my husband and I, his name was David Elmore Callahan, but for short, we called him Elmo. And, uh, we decided that we needed to turn our life over to the Lord. And we did it completely. And we went to a small church, and our pastor was just great. And he uh, he had just come out of the seminary, and uh, at one time I was his secretary. Can you imagine that me? But anyhow, I enjoyed it, and I got to learn a lot. And uh, of course, we had a small uh, congregation, but anyhow, that's okay. Then in 1944, my other daughter was born, Linda, and of course Barbara. You know, being the only child for a few years, she didn't like that, being having someone. And then, um, of course, after the war, the um, you know the war was over, jobs were available, but and money wasn't too great. But then things cost a lot less you wouldn't believe it there's some stories i can tell you but anyhow uh but then we learned that uh just because the things were there we didn't need them at the time and then in uh later on we moved across the river which to metairie louisiana which is just outside of of uh, new orleans and um of course we uh then after Barbara graduated she married and um uh, of course you know when one of your children leave home you think well that's kind of hard and I'm sure you know that uh and some of your parents know that when you'll leave but anyhow then um we just loved that church over there now Jers and when we moved I thought well now I can't find a church that I love so much, but we did. There's always one there. And so, uh, you know, when we were members of the church in in Algiers, my oldest girl, Barbara, she played the piano and the organ, and we were all very active in the church there. And then, uh, excuse me. Sometime a little later, someone asked me, "How old was I when I married?" Well, I was young when I married, but you know what? I had a wonderful marriage. I had a good Christian husband and two sweet daughters. And then, uh, but then my youngest daughter decided that she needed to get wanted to get married, and you know I thought, "Oh no, no, you're too young." And of course, but then we decided that my husband and I, we talked it over and we tried and we prayed and that she'd wait. And, but then we said we wanted to be in their lives. And so they, again, they got married in 1961. And George was, um, my son-in-law. The boy she married was George. And, um, of course, you know, after I found out what a good person he was, Christian boy, and they had such a wonderful time together, and then they had three children, Billy, Pam, and Tina. And, of course, George being in the Air Force, he was gone. He had to go to, uh, let's see, he, uh, I forget, they, he had to go overseas, and, of course, they stayed with us. And then come another period in the 60s, he had to go to, um, they went to Japan, and they went to Hawaii. And, of course, there we were. We were by ourselves for a change, just my husband and I, because the girls were gone. We missed them, but we prayed for them. And we knew that they knew the Lord, and that they would be able to survive. Then, in 1971, we moved here from New Orleans, and of course, uh, George was stationed in Southeast Asia. And of course, then the youngest girl and her husband and her three children come to live with us. And of course, and at the time my um dad lived with me too, and of course, my mother had passed away several years ago and uh but then um at that time, Barbara's marriage was failing the oldest girl, and you know when you say divorce ooh that was just wasn't, and you know we just didn't like that, but anyhow um. George returned in December 1972, and he was stationed then in Biloxi, and, of course, uh, they moved there. And then in 1973, they were, in April, they were on their way to come visit us in Houston. And my uh, Linda became ill, and so he took her to the, uh, they had just went through Lake Charles, And he turned around and went back to Lake Charles to take her to a hospital. And, of course, they couldn't make a diagnosis, so he took her back to Biloxi, Mississippi, where he was stationed, and she was put in the hospital. But then in November that year, she passed away with a brain tumor. And you talk about something to lose your youngest daughter, and I remember my husband saying, "He he said I have to turn it over to the Lord," and he did. And of course, that uh, after that, uh, you know, to I know to see her get married and then to see her go on, but I I knew that she would be suffering if she's and she was in a coma. So she passed away, and oh, we we just, uh, it was hard, but the Lord was with us, and we had to look to him, and you know, uh, my husband was a very strong Christian, and with his help, and with others in this church, praying for us and helping us, the Lord will, Take care. And then, um, of course, as I said, Barbara's marriage was failing, and she decided that divorce was the only thing that she could do. And then, of course, whenever George and Linda, the youngest girl, was married, he and Barbara didn't get along. They didn't care for each other too well, but they put up with each other because of the sisters being sisters and uh of course then uh back after she divorced and in christmas of 74 she went to meet a, a friend of hers in uh, Na- louisville kentucky and do you know i heard from her yesterday and um she uh her and barbara were real close and years ago when they had lived in new orleans I went to visit their girls because at one time I did teach a group of single girls. And uh, that's why I love young people. And But anyhow, um, as she came back, she wanted to visit with her nephew and her uh, nieces. And so um, an arrangement was made. And then... Uh, Barbara and George got together, and they discovered that they didn't know each other at all. And so back in, uh, my husband had said, the Lord took two two tragedies and made something good out of it. The death of the younger daughter and her divorce. And, And he married both of my girls. Can you imagine that? and do you know that he, that he can he loved both of those girls i know he did he was devoted to them and of course um you know the lord does things in his way not our way but in his way and um you know like i said i couldn't imagine one man loving both of my daughters. I'd known him since he was 15 years old. And now he's 64. And some of you might not know, but... Well, I'll, I'll get, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. <laughs> but um, he retired from the Air Force. And uh, and after a short time in Metairie, of course, he and Barbara married. And... Uh, these children all these children she had four adopted children and he had three can you imagine seven well uh then in i guess we will say that uh you know i just thank the lord that that he did what he did making this family together Because, you know, sometimes when people divorce, the children go elsewhere, and you don't get to see them. And we were blessed. And then in 1986, boy, that was a year. That That was a year that, well, one of the twin boys that my daughter had adopted, he died of an overdose of drugs. So be careful. And then the grandson, I have a grandson that uh, was at the time 22 years old. And, of course, he was on the swim team in high school, but he dove into two feet of water. And what do you think he did? He broke his neck. And it was a, what they call, he's now he's a quadriplegic. And... Um, I think, can I have time to say a little bit about him? Of course, he, um, it was hard. He was in Dallas. And, of course, we went there and we brought him back, life-flighted him here to, uh, Herman Hospital. And, of course, at the time, he was only 22. This was in July of 86. And, um... But do you know that since then, he finished college, he went to South Texas Law, and passed the bar the first time. He cannot feed himself. He cannot even wipe his nose. He does everything with a mouth stick. Now you think, sometimes when I begin to think, I have no reason to complain, and but I, we're so proud of him, and he has an office in his home, and he's doing quite well. And you just ought to talk to him sometime. He's a, a he's just a, but he and if you can tell him a phone number, maybe twice, he's got it. Everything has. He uses his mind. Well, then, you know, we married in 1936. So what do you think happened to us in 86? We celebrated 50 years together, my husband and I. There, Like I say, there were sad times and there was good times. But we had each other. We loved the Lord he was good to us and then after christmas that year about 5 days afterwards he suffered a massive heart attack and then in january he and the fourth he passed away so you know i i thought what can i do now the one that always helped me we worked together we tried to do what was best. And I, I I just couldn't think, well, Lord, now what else is going to happen? Well, I still have another one. Well, I tried to live by myself. But you know what? I like people. And I like, you know, a little bit of let's do this or let's do that. But anyhow... I asked my daughter, Barbara, and my son-in-law to move in with me, and they did. And I got to see firsthand the wonderful marriage they had. And you know what? As um, They always had fun together. They did things together. He didn't go off one way, and she didn't go off to do something. They were together. They worked together. They loved each other. They loved their children, and they relied upon the Lord. And then um, as the in the nineties, saw that Barbara was her. Well, she was. It was first one thing and another with her, her illness. And I, you know how a mother will. Why can't it be me? You know. Well, he didn't let it go like that. And then in October 2006, God called her home. And behind, I thought, my youngest daughter, my husband, and my oldest daughter, Lord, what do you have in store for me? Well, I still thought, well, I can't go back. I have to go forward. And, you know, God has never left me. And He he's provided for me. I can't say that, uh, well, I have both my knees have been replaced. I've fallen so many times. But you know what? Thank the Lord I never broke anything. And you know, it's just, like I say, you, you got to smile. Don't go around with a long face. You know, if you smile, the world will smile with you. And you know, I can't say it's later than you think because look at me. I'm, I'm, I can't believe that I have lived this long. I really can't. But you know, I owe it all to the lord and and so i, I just and i love and there's some of course there's some things that um I have a a Bible at home that I read my daily Bible right, and it's called Life Application a Study Bible, and it's a new living translation. And I like it because it tells in some words. And you know what today's reading was? Trust God and be blessed. And I'm blessed. I'm blessed. And I hope that, um, of course, you know, uh, that we shouldn't worry about tomorrow. The Bible tells us that. In Matthew, the sixth chapter. My sister, uh, we talk every Saturday at eight thirty. Phone rings one way or the other, and she said to me a couple, three weeks ago, Tootie, what is your favorite scripture? Well, you know, I always thought, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you don't worry about tomorrow i'm bad about sometimes right and so when i was looking that up i looked and i read all this here about worry you know we're not supposed to worry but you know we are it's about time Tiny. okay and and then uh you know another one is um Psalm 118.24, This is a day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Well, faith has enabled me to experience joy more fully, sustained me through many times of trouble, given me peace when my sorrow seemed too much to bear, allowed me to shoulder for which George leaned on. You know, Can you imagine, I I mean, I'm sure that some of his co-workers say, well, he's living with his mother-in-law, but that's okay. He loves me, and I love him. And he told me after he lost Barbara and I lost her daughter, don't worry, Mom, I'll take care of you. And he's the son that I never had, and God gave him to me. And he had a purpose. He has a purpose for each one of us. And if you don't know the Lord, please, please seek him. Because it's so important. And you have so much to live for. And you can set the example. One time I went to Billy Graham Crusade and he said, Of course, he was talking to parents. You need to set the example. But we need to set the example. We need to live that others can see Christ in us. And I pray for that. And I pray each day that the Lord will give me an opportunity of service for him. And this Dr. Tour and his wife, they're the sweetest things, and I have enjoyed them. And I miss all of you because you don't come by and see me and say hi. You know, I have my real name is Clara. But my dad gave me that name, Tootie. Thank you.
0: We're just going gonna, gonna to pray for Tootie. Father, thank you so much for Tootie and what she means to the body of Christ and how with what she's gone through, the way you've sustained her. Father, thank you for the example of what life is and the things that come at us in life and how you call us to keep going and seeking you. Father, thank you that she's never given up, that she still serves in the body of Christ, and she's still smiling and greeting others. Father, your blessings, I pray, be upon her in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you.